Okay, we're back with episode two of season two of Am I Wrong for Thinking This? Uh, I'm Greg. And I'm Susan. And we are picking up from where we left off last, last time, Susan. And when we left off, we were, um, I was kind of giving you a hard time about your, your son's summer job and, and where you would like for him to work as opposed to to where he may want to work. And we, we'll pick that up in the end. But what I want to do is circle back around because you were, we started off that last podcast and you were talking about the 1619 project. So I'm going to let you go ahead and, and expound on that a little bit. All right. I'm going to talk a little, I'm going to talk a little bit because I haven't gotten to listen to too much more. I re-listened to episode four. And so I didn't want to drop the ball on talking about the 1619 project because I think it's really important and just in all honesty I'm a white person listening to this and I think when white people listen to it they get offended they get nervous they get scared I think they go through the gamut of emotions and um, those are my emotions I can't really speak for anybody else but I can just be honest about how I feel and what I go through when I listen to this and I I gave some honest reactions in the last podcast. You which, did? Um, I did. I think, did you ask if I did or did you say you did? No, I was, I was confirming <laughs> that, that those did oh. appear to be honest and heartfelt reactions. <laughs> they, they were. I'm, I'm waiting for some, I don't know, maybe some love mail but, and some hate mail. But I think it, if we're just honest about how we feel as we re- and when we respond to, the, to what we hear, I think that's, that's all we can do. So this one... Um, I still listen to Yacht Rock all the time. I'm really glad that, you know, that was kind of the fun perk of listening to episode three. Sure. Um, and then episode four, it really talks about medicine. And I think that's one of the other things that I've always heard in, um, in the news or in conversations when they talk about disparity in healthcare. And as a 49-year-old Caucasian woman, I honestly never understood the disparity being because of racial issues. It, it never entered my mind that it was racial. It was usually, really? econ- yeah, it never entered my mind. And I wonder if it's because of this whole, the way we started episode one in season two was I have never heard of any of the 1619. I've never heard of that historical moment. I've never, so if I've never been taught that and I've, I've never really researched or understood the critical race theory or wanted to look into it when I first started listening to it, why would I know that healthcare disparity had to do with racial issues? That was kind of my thought as I started to question why I didn't know. I go, well, I wasn't taught a lot of that. And there's also, I didn't notice a lot of it. What I have grown up noticing is if you had insurance, you had healthcare, or if you had absolutely no way to have insurance, you got help. Um, we were sort of the middle class, middle of the road. Well, I wasn't middle of the class. We, we went without health care for a long time when my mom was divorced and she would say, hey, just be careful. We're living on the edge. <laughs> we, have no, we have no way to pay for you if something happens. And she goes, I can't afford insurance. I can't afford to do anything. So we're just going to have to be okay for the next year. We'll decide next year what to do. So for me, it was just always, if you couldn't afford it, you couldn't afford it. Right. But then I listened to episode four and... Um, the first thing that just threw me was Medicare and how Medicare helped with desegregating the hospitals because it, and this is embarrassing, but I'm like, 
Medicare is a universal healthcare program <laughs> in the sense of it's, it doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what you do, you get Medicare. So I'm like, oh, I never actually saw it that way. So just learning more about it, I'm, I really was surprised and intrigued. You, you, with, you actually thought it was, was need-based or what, what was your understanding I, of Medicare up to that point? Well, to unproudly be as I am a Medicare provider in our private practice, you think I would have understood the history of it a little bit more. But I honestly thought Medicare was based on when you worked and gave into Social Security, your Medicare was curtailed or came at the end of that when you retired. So however much you worked and put in is how inexpensive your Medicare was. That makes no sense, maybe. Sort, but... of, sort of like your Social Security benefits, because that is basically yeah. you're making an interest-free loan to the government and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll get you back at the end. Unless it's all gone. So. <laughs> and, so, and so Medicare is, is basically everyone's mm-hmm. contributing to this pot to take care of, of everyone. Of, well, not everyone. Well, of everyone of a certain who, who age. Needs, yeah. Yeah. Everyone who, who qualifies for Medicare. Yeah. And right, so, which... I mean, you know, then there's the whole argument about is it socialism? Is it not socialism? Et cetera, et cetera. Was that me? It did garble a little bit. Sorry about that. Well, um, and that's, that's what they talked about, communism versus socialism. When that was brought up with Truman, it was like communism, socialism. And, and, and I'm like, well, that is the same argument that we've been having. But I never put Medicare on that map. And yeah. when you become a Medicare provider and the people that you like, we're 80, 90 percent, sometimes 90 percent, I'd say about 80 percent um, Medicare clients who are your 65 and older and we have an, a small group of um with disability you can also have medicare if you're at a younger age now it's a right. little bit different price and a little bit different, you know um that they pay and that we receive um so we make less you know or more based on certain medicare programs but across traditional medicare regular medicare same same payment same everything like i see how it benefits people and we're in the mental health field and and honestly like right now for most of like the clientele that are 65 and plus their mental health is really their It's like their retirement plan. Well, I've worked for 40, 50 years and I worked a really crappy job or I had a lot of trauma or I didn't have time to process this or I didn't you know, have time to deal with the post-traumatic stress that I've endured for 40 years. Now I need to talk to somebody because I don't have anything to do. Sure. <laughs> and that, that's, that's Medicare. So for me, I learned a lot about Medicare just overall, but the fact that it helped desegregate hospitals was something that I would have never thought about or understood except listening through this. And then I went and Googled desegregation due to Medicare. I just wanted to see where it would fall. And it's a lot of starting back in 2007, 2014, 2015, all these different titles of talking about how yeah, Medicare helped desegregate hospitals. Absolutely. So that was that was a lot of episode four. It was a lot of the healthcare um, with with how blacks and whites were were treated and how hospitals. You know, you got hand me down hospitals for black people, and and I mean bodies in the street because they couldn't go, and it was right after Reconstruction around that time when. Right. 
they they had nowhere to go and they died and you you didn't learn we didn't learn that Mm. (laughs) no no you did not (laughs) no you did not but you know and and it's not as if we we being me as as a black person learned that but it was i mean it was just kind of known without being told to you i mean it's 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 sort of like um you know there's there's different there's different ways that that most and and it may not be as as true today as it was back when I was younger, but there's different ways that that black people approach the doctor's visit versus how a white person may approach the doctor's visit because historically and and this is even in some old medical treatises that black people were supposedly able to endure pain better so if you know if they ask you for pain medicine as a doctor you were you were kind of taught in medical school you know they may be pill seeking because they're probably not not as not in as much pain as as they claim to be in things like that i mean you know black women dying in childbirth or dying during childbirth those those things were very common and a lot of it was because and it had its roots in um just negative stereotypes that had been placed upon on black black people and and really black women in particular i think you know they were expected to be tougher and 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 could handle more and and this whole this whole myth was built around you know how they could endure more pain now some of that may come from the countless beatings that they received as slaves i don't know but you know, I always thought that that was really, really a um, a stain on the medical community. The way you almost had to go in missing a limb to be taken seriously as a as a black person when you went to the doctor. You know, it's right. It's well, odd. but if you, it well, it's like worse than odd. But it, you're right. I mean, if you go back even into the what 30s and 40s, I don't even think a broken leg might have gotten you into the hospital or a missing leg might have gotten you to the hospital. Oh, it, it's, <laughs> it, you'd it's, have gotten sent to the other side of the road cer- where they had the certainly. other one. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, keep in mind, I was, I was born in 1969 in in South Georgia. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard the stories from my parents about, you know, me being born and, and, you know, and I think about my three older sisters, they were born in a time where some hospitals were still segregated. You know, I'm, I'm old enough and my sister's old enough that, that my oldest sister was one of the first African-American children to go to school in, the, in an integrated classroom, you know, so. Yeah. It no, hasn't been that, that long ago. It's not that long ago. Exactly. No. As I say, I'm old enough to remember, you know, and, and you think about things like one of the one of the hot topics right now is how in the black community, black a lot of the black community is they're reluctant to receive the the COVID-19 vaccination. And I was at first. And my rallying cry was one of the same rallying cries that that a lot of them give. I remember, I read about the Tuskegee experiment, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, but, you know, so has medicine been, has, 
has the medical community always been fair and kind to to the to the black community? No, but I think that that's probably just a general reflection on the societal nature during that time and even up until today. And I, again, I have not listened to the 1619 Project, so I will not <laughs> pretend to know what she explored, but it was interesting before we came on air, you, you talked about that that's what episode four kind of kind of dealt with. Yeah, it and it ended with... Um... It ended with bad blood. So what does that mean to you when you hear bad blood? Does um, that mean anything? As a lawyer, I always have to say in what context. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the history of Black people have it dying of bad blood. Like it's going to be bad. You might have bad blood. I think they, she called it bad blood because. Um, when, oh, yeah, that was a thing. Right. And it was, that was like, yeah, she talked about it like with sexually transmitted diseases. Maybe basically she. Was it, is it gonorrhea? Um, no, it's, it's uh, what's, um, I can't well, remember syphilis the name. That they syphilis. All, I'm sorry. Syphilis. The, uh, syphilis Tuskegee is the one that, yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Syphilis is what is yeah. exactly what you're talking The Tuskegee, I can't say that very well, but she, she just had this and she's not that long ago. This is in the past 10 years. I can't remember how old she was 10, 15 years, but she and her husband lived in New York. This, they ended this podcast with this story. And um, when she started talking, I'm like, why is she so scared? What is she thinking? But Mm -hmm. um, her two-year-old was playing over on the side in New York in one of the little parks. And he picked up something, thought it was a leaf. And she went over to take it out. And it was a dirty tampon. And Mm -hmm. so, and it sounds like you might have heard that story. I've never heard that story. Mm -hmm. And she just was so... um, a little bit, I don't want to like, she was very um, obsessive compulsive about the cleanliness and the germs and the cleaning. And the, so the husband came home two hours later and she still had hands washing and in the bathtub and cleaning him because she didn't want him to get a disease from that and then have her child taken away because they're black and them say that he has like a sexually transmitted disease to get that. So it all kind of went back to the ending of the story of syphilis and always, always hearing don't get don't get bad blood don't, don't get die bad, bad blood. blood yeah yeah and you're like yeah. oh and yeah. that that's a historical thing for her for her and she's affected by that um especially listening to family listening to history in her with in her world and for me i'm like starting out the story i'm like oh my goodness what why would you even worry about anything like that that's just something that wouldn't come to mind and i just i like learning that and hearing what she's struggling with to give a better understanding of the history of what African-American black people think of on a daily basis that I don't think of on a daily basis. Sure. That I've never thought to you. Yeah. We've talked about that in in other contexts, like, you know, mm -hmm. traffic stops or going to try to get a loan. But, but when it comes to medicine, it's also there. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's funny because, historically you've heard that and that was just a saying you know and and i I think that it probably kind of reached out past uh racial lines and i think some of some of your poorer white people also refer to it as bad blood because i mean frankly they were denied and continue to be denied health care not to the same extent that that black people were but you know they were also denied um 
access to quality health care for because of their socioeconomic status, which is why it always puzzles me that, you know, I'll have a conversation with someone, um, and this is not to judge them, but they, they will be, um, you know, they're not high wage earners or, or something like that. And they, they rail against socialism and they rail against Obamacare. And, you know, one of the funniest conversations I had is um, um, I had a conversation with a guy and he was an older white guy. And we were talking about health insurance and, and universal health care. And so we be, we begin <laughs> to have this conversation and he began to anytime he anytime someone leads with I'm not sure what your political affiliation is. <laughs> it's a pretty good bet that they have a good idea what my political affiliation is. And they've made Probably. that assumption just based on my color, which is a whole other issue. But, you know, he, he railed against Obamacare and he railed against universal health care and he called it socialism. And he said that, you know, he should not have to, to pay for someone else's health care. And I said, oh, okay, so you have private insurance? Well, no, I have Medicare. So, <laughs> and, and in his mind, he does not equate that. or that That's, to, in his mind, that's something different than affordable health care or something like that, which Medicare, honestly, um, you can take Medicare. You don't have to. It's, I don't think it's it's mandatory. Is that right? I only deal with Medicare from the standpoint of, if I have a client that's on Medicare and we settle a case, then Medicare gets to claim a subrogation interest or a right to recover some money that they paid for the client's oh, injury. Okay. I don't so, know. I don't know if it's mandatory, but all I know is I just took my mom to have brain surgery and several other small surgeries because of brain surgery. And she's on just traditional Medicare and she paid maybe a thousand dollars out of pocket for the entire right. thing. And the only reason she paid that is because she doesn't have a secondary. And so usually it's completely covered. Sure. So I'm also, and so, and my mother-in-law also brain tumor, which people might wonder where Brian and I grew up, <laughs> but, yeah. uh -huh. but having like, they paid hardly anything out of pocket as well. So I, I don't, I don't know, but I think I'd be just like the man that you were talking to. If you said this to me, uh, three days ago, mm -hmm. I'd go, well, no, I don't. I'm not real a big believer in universal, you know, healthcare. I'm not a big believer in just like everybody across the board. I, I think it's dangerous. It makes me nervous. And, but Medicare is that and Medicare is working, but you know, what if Medicare does run out? So I'm sure there are a lot of other arguments or the financial part of it that I don't understand very well. But from my standpoint, becoming a Medicare provider you had to think a little bit differently with what you thought you believed politically or what you wanted to have as a platform that was important for whoever and how it affects you. And we talked about that a long time ago. I remember kind of having that argument with when, Oh, it was our, it was the election argument. <laughs> one of them. <laughs> <laughs> one of, one and, of them. <laughs> yeah. One of them. Because right. it's, speaking of who you're going to vote for and that per you know, that platform is, against Medicare or, you know, go, but we are Medicare providers. And how do you think about voting when you benefit from the opposite? And so you have to really think that through, but for me, just, just the exposure of it and then understanding how Medicare is 
the connection of it with um, disparity in healthcare and that racial issue, racial issues or racism is a huge part of that. Not just that we visually see still more white people with insurance going into the hospitals and less black, Hispanic, Native American, anybody else with less. Um, we haven't had insurance as a, a white middle-class family because it costs so much. We can't afford it. So we have group health care. We've had that for seven years right. and there's, there's no way that we could afford $1,600 a month for the four of us. And, and so then I go, well, there are other people who make so much less money that they pretty much have almost free health care. So that's kind of the argument. I'm, I'm working hard. I, I think I should have it, but I also just go, well, we can't afford it. I got to figure out a different way. Um, so but, I, I think I think that you make the case for universal health care as opposed to Medicare and as opposed to as opposed to Medicare, which are opposed to Obamacare. And which, by the way, it's not Obamacare. It's the Affordable Health Care Act. And just as a side note, the U.S. Supreme Court today decided seven to two to reject Texas. Texas's last and probably latest and probably last challenge to the Affordable Health Care Act. So at some point, you know, some conservative justices got on board and said, nope, you know, this this is working. It's not causing you any any harm to do that. I just I, I feel I feel that it is interesting. And I know we've gotten a bit of far afield from the 1619 project, but we're talking about not really. This is, so, yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And I, I think what I'm about to say will, will kind of tie into that, but it's, it's very interesting how a political party can convince a group of people to vote against their own interests. I will say that. Um, and to, for, for a political party to, to be able to take an issue turn it on its head, put it in the most negative light it could find, repackage it and say, this is what we need you to go to the polls and vote against. And have those people not realize that they're voting against their own interests because the truth be told, some of the very people that rail the loudest against the Affordable Health Care Act and against the concept of universal health care, those are the people that could use it the most. So, they could use it the most, but I did. I I wasn't the one who needed it. I personally, in voting for me and thinking of me, my interest was going back to paying a logical amount for my insurance instead of paying sixteen hundred dollars a month with a fifteen twelve thousand dollar deductible of whatever's going to happen. That makes no sense. Like right. I actually, I mean, I could go get appendicitis and get that taken care of for less than my annual insurance was costing me. So for me, when I hear Affordable Care Act, and this is just me and what I experienced as I paid my bills and as I took care of my family, Affordable Care Act, everybody, I kept reading, it's going to increase our insurance and it increased our insurance 400% to where we couldn't afford it anymore. So it knocked out a certain group who couldn't afford it. Well, I could afford it before and now I can't afford it. And that doesn't seem fair for me, but I also believe that life is not fair so maybe where are the people that are getting it? If that's the people who can't afford it and I can figure out a different way to pay for it, I'm just going to go with that because I don't quite understand how that was affected. But my personal thing is the 
elephant in the room are the insurance companies. What the heck is going on with them? (laughs) Okay, well, that that is episode four, five, six, and seven. And that's Greg's Greg's rant against insurance companies (laughs) and how insurance is nothing but the biggest scam ever perpetrated on the American public. (laughs) And how the only winners in the insurance game are are the insurance companies. Are the insurance companies. Because we are told, we are told by a person on the phone in some other state in their house, because I hear the dog barking in the background saying, yeah, we're calling with this insurance company and we don't believe that your client needs the services you're providing. And I'm sure. like, okay, like, do you want them to come to your house whenever they start to have problems? So anyway, so let's just, we will save that for another podcast. Okay. But let's, let's shift over into the last several minutes of our, our fun topic, which is Whataburger versus the country club. <laughs> okay. Part... <laughs> Part two. Part two. And we hope I, I, I apparently had some technical difficulties last time and a lot of my my part of the conversation was it was trash. And so hopefully But it was so fruitful and we missed it. So Yeah. <laughs> it's always sad when my pearls of wisdom are I'm not able to share those <laughs> with the world. But go ahead. So what we just to recap very quickly, I brought up my son is 16 going out looking for a job and he decides to go look at Whataburger. And, and to kind of add to that, we lived in a smaller town when he started looking for jobs and that's really kind of where you work. It's going to be Chick-fil-A. It's going to be Whataburger. It's going to be, and for me, I'm like, go Chick-fil-A. All the homeschool kids work there. (laughs) Be a sweet little place to be. Um, But still kind of narrow-minded. And then um, we moved to a bigger town into an area where it is a, it's a nice neighborhood and it has, um, I say nice because it's wide, has wide streets. Uh, it's a quiet neighborhood. It's a huge college town. So it's away from all of the students and it's nice and quiet. And there's a country club. And so I said, why don't you try and go get a job at the country club? I think that'd be a lot more cool. And in the first podcast, my nervousness kept saying, oh, they'll have, you could ride carts. You know, <laughs> I was trying to make it sound fun. That's sure. why you should work there. But what Greg yeah wanted to point out was he basically agreed with what my son came up with when I finally got him to tell me why he did not want to go apply at the country club. And he said, mom, I think I'm going to look too, I think it makes me feel too, I'm going to look white. I'm going to look too white, not feel white because it's like, I'm going to be just too white. And so Greg's response was, go ahead. No, no. I, <laughs> yeah. To, to be fair, I, I wasn't necessarily agreeing with his statement. I was merely pointing out that we had spent the previous 25 minutes talking about some some things That's that right. kind of related to that. And then you just kind of toss that grenade in. And oh, by the way, I want my son to work at the country club, not around, not around the hooligans at, at Waterburger. And that's not to say that hooligans work at Waterburger. I'm sure some do, but I'm sure there's some very nice people that work there. Well, and I'm sure there's some hooligans working at the country club. For the I, same, I would almost bet you know. that there are. <laughs> <laughs> well, the town I came from had a nice bit of money. It was an oil town. And I'll tell you, the people that I, the people that I heard about doing drugs were the people that had the money. So, sure. cause they could afford it and they could get away with it. So it, it wasn't, but my question after that, as I thought about it was, I don't think it's fair and fair is not the right word to use. Fair is not the right word because I want my son to have the best opportunities okay. that he can have. So for me, the best opportunity is 
I like the idea of the country club, which is the same distance as Whataburger. But, now, I'm not saying that's the right choice, but I'm saying I also don't think well, that I should have to say no because you look too white. Isn't that like saying, isn't that, isn't it, it's almost like saying because you're white, you need to go work at a place that's less and not so stereotyped so we can even things out. That doesn't seem fair. Okay, let's first let's talk about the way you framed the your argument just then. Okay. You said, lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you said I don't think I should have to say no because it would appear too white, right? Mm-hmm. What are you saying no to? Because it was not your son that came to you and asked to work at the country club. It was you who suggested that he worked at the country club. So what exactly are you saying no to when you say, I don't think I should have to say no? I don't. Are you saying no to your son or are you saying no to your inner thoughts as to whether or not it's wrong for you to want him to work at the country club? It's my inner thoughts. Like, I'm not going to argue that it's and that's what's wrong with that, though. That's where I am. And there is there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. As a parent, there's nothing wrong with that. As a person, there's nothing wrong with that. There's but a, I think that's that's just, the pressure. There's no pressure though. That that should not be pressure for you. But that it's not for me personally because I think I've grown a bit in the last year because as I've started COVID walking did that to a lot of people. <laughs> well, COVID, nature I think... is nature is healing. <laughs> well, sometimes there's a little blessing in really horrible things, and we do learn from them. And I, yeah, think... I, didn't, I, I didn't have to see people for like a year. I mean, <laughs> no, let's rephrase that. You didn't have to see people, and there was no guilt involved. because <laughs> so, well, you don't see people anyway. I was gonna say honestly, there's never any guilt involved in that. It's Although just. It's... You know, they didn't feel so disappointed because they kind of understood. <laughs> <laughs> That's all. <laughs> but well, getting back it. to what you were saying, yeah. I mean, I think um, it's not as if your son was calling you out saying by saying that. I think that what it shows is a level of one maturity on his part. And I think it also yeah. shows that um, that not only have you grown, you probably began to say hey maybe maybe we need or not we as your family but maybe you want to think about you know another way of looking at things because um you know he he was a pretty conservative guy right yeah he's he's quite conservative in fact he's one of the ones that i was nervous to squash his create his um um his what do you call it his learning and knowledge seeking in this in the political and in his belief system when I started reading the Jamar Tisby book and when I started talking out loud about you know I'm really kind of I'm 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 kind of I'm starting to understand what's going on when I see the riots and when when I see the the discussion between is it a riot or is it a what's the word in Is it a riot or is it an insurrection? Insurrection, yeah. So instead of just going, I'm not going to even read that article. I read the article and I see both sides and I try and understand what the argument is and 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 what the real feeling is for me. And so I guess the point I was trying to make, and I did it very inartfully, is that 
your kids see things. And, and I think that he's a, he's a prime example of that because he's, he's getting to that age where he's making his own informed decisions, but it really sounds like, and this is not to embarrass him. Um, this is actually to pat him on the back, but it, it really sounds like he's doing a, a lot of critical thinking about stuff. You know, he's not just, he is, yeah. Yeah. He's not just going with whatever the popular opinion is. He's, he's really thinking through these things because. Well, but the popular opinion is also starting to grow in, you should feel guilty because you're white. And I don't want to teach him that you should feel guilty because you're white. Cause I don't feel guilty because I'm white. I nor, am white. Sh- nor should you. Yeah. I mean, and, you and, know. but the, what I think he's doing is he is starting to hear, but as parents, we also have a lot of power on what our kids think, even if they act like we don't. And so my thing is to, is to not stop that knowledge growing and knowledge seeking, but to make him critically think like, like you're saying, and he is the one who's going to think that he's going to go, you know, it does make me feel kind of white because our children, as they said, when we moved to this town, they're like, well, mom, of course we notice it's a white city. You moved us from like a very diverse city where we saw all different races and all different economic socioeconomic levels. And you moved us to, I don't know what we kind of think is the whitest city we've ever been in. (laughs) And I'm like, well, kind of known for it too. Like, but that doesn't make it a bad city. That just makes it a city where we have a lot to learn and a lot to grow and a lot to look at to see what we need to do. So right. while I, I want him to to be his conservative self, I want him to critically think and see what that means to him if that's what he stays. But I, and that's what I love about his heart and I love about his mind is he really does think and care. And so, so two things. One, he called me while I'm at work yesterday. He goes, uh, mom. So I got a call from Whataburger and the manager wants to know, um, something he's going to call me back. And just, he was confirming that this was the correct number. He goes, I just wanted to make sure what is it? Okay. I mean, can I work there? And I go, if you get a job offer and you want to work there, then you take that job like that. I would never turn him, tell him no, but I, I was pretty strong in our conversation and on the podcast and our interaction did soften, my mind to go, Susan, maybe let him work where he's going to work. You've raised him to be who you want him to be. And he's got to figure that out. Um, you know, I just wanted to keep him from some of the stuff I had to experience, but maybe he needs to. And, um, and then the last but thing that we've happened, already confirmed that that stuff probably also occurs at the country club as well. It does, but at least you, the people at Whataburger, they're pretty open and honest about it. The people at the country club are probably hiding a little bit more. So uh, what, ended up happening after he had told me that the same day he told me that we all went to play tennis on Sunday, which was the hottest day ever. And then we all went and jumped in the pool, the four of us and everybody went to jump in the pool. And I went into the restroom in the tennis part and I walked in and somebody was cleaning the toilet and, and I was like, yeah, I don't care. And I go, Ooh, I don't know if that's a guy or a girl cleaning the toilet. So I waited and kind of looked and I go, Hey, are you a girl? And um, she kind of looked up at me and she was a black woman. And it just, it, it just overcame me that everybody else in the pool is white. And this one woman is black. And that doesn't mean anything in the sense of if we just take it at face value, she could be really proud of herself. She could have just gotten out of a really bad place and she has a job and this is a good day. <laughs> she wasn't super happy with me. And I, but I kind of made eye contact and I talked to her, but it, it doesn't 
take away what James said and it visually does affect you. Sure. And, and that's all that, that is. I can't just, you know, what am I, I'm not supposed to, you know what, you go swim. I'm going to clean the toilets. I mean, I would, but that's degrading to her. Right. <laughs> she doesn't want to swim. Right. She's a human being. And so it's just the visual of that just kind of hit me. And it just, it just made me think about my son and, and his comment. And, and then the question of what, what do we do to change this thinking and visual that we all still see everywhere? So that's all I have. With I, that. I mean, I, I think you do what, what, what people endeavor to do like, like this is, is you talk about it, you know, um, yeah. just real quick on, uh, you know, the, the lady cleaning the restroom. She, mm-hmm. she, she may be extremely proud of that job. And, yeah. and I, I can't say that having, having always been around or navigated in a predominantly um, white world as a black mm-hmm. man, as a black person, most of the time, you don't, you're not even thinking about that. Now, this is just me. Most of the, I'm not even thinking about that. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it it is a given. And you were taught early on that you are most likely going to be the quote-unquote minority in any situation that you're in, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> perhaps with the exception of Whataburger. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who works <laughs> in Whataburger. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> I don't it's know. Probably, of course you are. <laughs> it's probably going to be all white people based on where the Whataburger is. To be yeah, honest with yeah, you. But, yeah. But, but the thing is about the woman well, in the bathroom. Not, not necessarily, though, because think about yeah. that. You That same same area that you live in where the country club is, that was a black lady. That you were in action with it her. Was. She's a black lady. Yeah, So, yeah, I mean, you know, um, and it, it always... It always kind of gives me the heebies to think about it, but back in the fifties, and you know, it, it was a common thing for the help, which was typically an African American man or woman, to be driven into the neighborhood to do their job, and then driven out before dark. You know, always sitting in the back seat, never allowed to sit in the front seat, and so that's that was just a common thing. I mean. You know, yeah. and growing up and and listening to stories about your grandmother or your your great grandmother, you know, washing clothes, and that was a common thing is cleaning house and washing clothes. And in the in the black homes, it was, you know, she washed clothes for the white people, and and that yeah. was just it was just common. It we didn't think less of of our grandmother. We didn't, you know, so. You know, she she's probably content. She's probably just having a bad day. And I mean, you know, I just um, I don't know if I don't know. If, I don't I don't think she's in there lamenting because she's right, black and everybody right. outside and is white. I don't think that's happening now. Yeah, no, I think yeah. she's just she's just doing her job. But I think the reason I connected with her and wanted to, you know, try and connect with her is because. I've cleaned toilets. Like I have cleaned toilets. I cleaned toilets at a country club. So I could get tennis lessons. We talked about that last time. I cleaned toilets at another tennis club and people are snotty who play tennis at a country club. And so I was just like, yeah, I hope everybody's being nice to you. And not because she's black, but because she's cleaning toilets. Yeah. Honestly, that's, 
So I, but I think right now in society, we are talking about it so much, which is what James said. I'm going to look white. I'm like, you are white. Right. So clean toilets or work at a country club. It's, it's just, it's just where we are. And I don't, I just don't want to put the pressure on him to feel guilty because he's white. Cause there is a group out there saying we should feel guilty. We should, we should do that. I'm like, that's demeaning. Well, both sides. I, I think that that's the overcorrection. It's, it's sort of like I was yeah. telling my niece when we were talking about the critical race theory. I, I touched on that in the last podcast. There's always an, an overcorrection. And there, there has to be an overcorrection on both <laughs> sides so that you get to not necessarily a, a happy middle ground, but you do get to a middle ground. So yeah. there, there's going to be the overcorrection of we should feel guilty, you know, because we're 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 white you know no no you shouldn't um no because it's just silly and again it all comes back to just be a good person you know exactly that's the right thing and then you don't have to worry about whether you're being Mm -hmm. too nice or if you're not being nice enough to a person because they're black or you're being too mean or you're not being nice enough to a person because they're white just be a good person. Just and be a good person. Kind of take That's, care of itself. You know? Yeah. Or you could just root for everyone. So exactly. If, they wanna, if y'all want to listen to one of our first episodes, you root for everyone and you'll be okay. <laughs> except, right. for, except for no. the... Uh, <laughs> That's we everyone. Go, yeah, we won't, we won't go back into that, but you guys can listen to, <laughs> to the debate that on is, that. That's, that's right. a good one. All right. Thanks for being with us and we're we're glad to have you in um, season two, episode two, and we'll, we'll see you next week or here. You'll hear us next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.